0: So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornes, and with me, as always, is Fred. Watch out for flu season, Moreland. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? You know what? I've got my dogs here, and I'm a happy guy. So, Hey, that's always good. It's hard to be unhappy with the puppers around, but yeah. we, have a, we have a lot to talk about here today, sir. We do. We got a...
2: A good bit of news to go over, uh not too much, just a touch. And uh we gotta talk wrestle dream and honestly we've got to talk a little dynamite too, I think. But on mm-hmm. good time. On good yes. time. We uh I, I would like to continue our streak of talking about uh football, if that's all right. Absolutely. As we finish up a uh, as I finish up a Yuma Eiyagi, uh Kintomi Ohara match in the background. Um well, I think uh, we can do this for about 10 minutes, I think. We'll be good. Uh, I have to ask you the most important question I can think of when it pertains to American football, though, which is, uh, how about them Wildcats? Wow! No,
1: um, we're not going to talk football.
2: Yeah, today. we're going to talk about it. Um, so the Kentucky Wildcats defeated the Florida Gators, uh,
1: someone's favorite team. Did you go to Florida? Is that your, your gimmick? Or um, I got into Florida, but it was too expensive. Like, cause gotcha. I'm, I live in Minnesota. It was like in 2008, it was 40,000 a year out of state tuition.
0: That's so a lot good. of money.
1: <laughs> That's a lot of money. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, um,
2: Kentucky looked, uh, for the, basically the first time all year, uh, offensively capable.
1: And, uh, are yeah. they actually good? No, I don't think so. Um, okay. I think they're fine. I don't think they're good, but yeah. I, I, use good in a I guess, subjective term. Um, one of the big issues with Florida is they, they lack discipline. They had, a, Lots of penalties. they had a special teams penalty that ended up resulting in seven points for the Wildcats. They were not sound fitting the run and filling gaps. Oh, yeah, they route. could not stop the run at all. Uh, it,
2: it was bad enough that a graphic appeared on TV mentioning <sighs> that uh, it was Ray Black, I think, that was the running back for Kentucky. Ray Davis. Ray Davis, sorry, uh, had had garnered more rushing yards than shipwreck Sawyer from 1930. Yep. So anytime you get a
1: shipwreck Sawyer reference on TV, it's probably not going well for Florida. <laughs> hey, I will say on that graphic was Minnesota Vikings legend, Mo Williams. And yeah. that's always a good, good thing to talk about. But yeah, yeah it was Florida's lack of discipline killed him. And yeah. it was honestly that simple, but the lack of discipline equated directly to the running game, equated directly to penalties, and they could not overcome it. And it's hard to overcome those things. So, yeah. Florida was never supposed to be really good this year, um, but at the end of the day, it's still disappointing. And Graham Mertz can go eat shit. I am <laughs> Jack. I know you're listening. I I hate Graham Mertz. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I sorry. Let me rephrase that. I don't know the person, and I, I'm i not going to actually judge no, no, the person. I think, it, I hate think we all His assume. performance on the football field. Oh, yeah, we, it
2: sucks. Uh, don't worry. Georgia's going to take care of Kentucky this weekend and uh, probably embarrass them. But I mean, it's not really like Georgia will last they? year. So I think Georgia's, they probably
1: will. Is Georgia actually good? Uh, I don't Their know if Georgia's is actually good. good. Yeah. Well, I think and, they're living off of reputation from yeah. last year. I don't think they're actually good. Fair
2: enough. I I think they're probably still the top team in the SEC East, though. Yeah, I mean, the SEC East kind of blows. Yeah. I mean, it is – I think Missouri is probably the actual best, second-best team outside of Georgia, or best team outside of Georgia, I should say. Yeah,
1: Tennessee sucks. Uh, South Carolina played really well against Georgia, but they couldn't pull it out, and then – They end up losing by 21 to Tennessee, which cost me and my, um, ATS, uh, bets. But what can you do? Uh, Vanderbilt also still sucks. Um, like Kentucky
2: genuinely has an argument to be the second best SEC East team, which is, uh, you know, this isn't a great year for that to be the case. So like every once in a while that could happen, but Kentucky is, is definitely flawed. They barely got past Eastern Kentucky. Um, I, I wanted to ask you also. Um, I know we already talked about Duke being real, but Duke's real. <laughs> like yep. Duke's a legit top twenty team, and
1: uh, that's pretty damn cool, frankly. As yeah, a, it, as a Duke hater, frankly. Uh, and now Duke football and Duke college basketball, in my opinion, are completely different. Completely no. different. They they've been bad for so long in the college football that it's cool that they're good at uh, when it, when it happens. I'll never forget, um, it was either Chris Weber or Jalen Rose on the Fab Five documentary said, oh, sure, they recruit black people, but they don't really recruit black people, something like that, because they recruit the, the, the rich guys. And in their words, the white black people. Like yeah. It's, it, they just give you so many reasons to hate, and they're just stuck up. It, it just, but the football team doesn't give you any of those vibes. No, Mainly not at because all. Because they've sucked for 30
2: years. Yeah. Like, like when they're good, it's, it's a surprise. Uh, I'll always remember the Elton Brand email from when he went to Duke and became the first Duke player to leave early because he did so after his uh, freshman year in like 99. And mm-hmm. some, un, some student there got all uh, up in their feelings and sent him an email about how he wasn't a real Duke player. And he basically wrote, wrote back and told him to kick rocks. So good on him.
1: Well, he had a successful pro career and now he has a successful NBA M- management career. So yeah. good for Elton Brand.
2: Yeah, he he's he's good. He's good. Um Pac twelve is uh ridiculously good this year. And oh, yeah. right when it's dying. And um who you know, this is a tough one because frankly, I don't think there's a clear cut answer, but just in your
1: estimation, who do you think is the best team in that conference this year? Washington. You're going uh, Washington. Washington, yeah. I don't maybe Oregon. Um, I don't think it's USC. The offense is great, the defense is an abomination to God. Uh, just like it was last year. So yeah. I I really can't trust USC's defense at all. Um Colorado was a twenty four and a half point underdog at um when the line opened last week and then was a twenty one point dog at kickoff and they lost yeah. by seven. Like, it took and- a hell of a comeback to get there. USC got up 28. Mm-hmm. Who no, knows? Uh, 27 points. And then Colorado rattled off three straight touchdowns. Alex Grinch's defenses suck. Can't trust USC. If Utah actually had Cam rising, I think Utah might be the best team in this conference. But they've been without rising. who tore his ACL in the Rose Bowl last year. Yeah. He hasn't played once. I think he's going to play after the bye week this week. But... It's it's a tough call because the yeah, top and, of and Utah's
2: big issue has been scoring. Like their offense has been moribund this
1: whole season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's been because they just don't have that kind of consistency at quarterback, and they don't have yeah. the weapons on the outside to be able to compensate for that. Sometimes you have a subpar quarterback, but you have great weapons, and in college you can get away with that to an extent. Just look at some of those great Alabama teams of the last decade. They haven't had the best quarterbacks historically. And they've yeah. been fine because they have the talent on the outside and on the offensive line. Utah doesn't have that talent on the outside. There's one of their starting wide receivers. His name is Money Parks. the, the name is as absurd as how average he is. Oh, that's like, a shame because if you have that name, you should be like a
2: future superstar. <laughs> like it's just mm-hmm. not right. Otherwise, um. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Bama. I don't think is. Uh,
1: They're probably a bottom of the top 10 team-ish at best. Um, They're ranked 11th right now, and honestly, based on some of their performances, I think it's too high.
2: It might be a bit too high, that's fair. Uh, Colorado, who everybody loves to talk about, I guess, now. um, I don't know, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and it's looking like they should end up with, uh, what, seven wins? Maybe eight if they can pull off an upset
1: but I don't think that they're better than any of the ranked uh, Pac-12 teams. The problem with Colorado is not the top-end talent. The top-end talent is as good as anybody in the Pac-12. It's the The lines. The problem is the depth and Mm -hmm. the trenches. They got the skill players. Now they need to spend this offseason investing heavily in the trenches. And if you're able to get Shitter Sanders back, you'll have Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn Jr. and Travis Hunter. He gets Plus, healthy. running back Dylan Edwards is a true freshman. So you have dudes. And with the way this quarterback class is shaping up with the NFL draft, Fred, there's a realistic chance a guy like Shedder Sanders stays because why would you want to be at fighting for at best the third quarterback spot? Yeah, You may want to be the, the top guy in 2025. And with NIL, you don't have to jump to get money. Hell, his dad is Deion Sanders. He's fine. Yeah, he's going to get
2: paid. He's going to get paid just fine uh, as a NLI guy, um, or NIL. I always mix that up because of a national letter of intent. Um,
1: yeah, I will say yes. the one team that I will continuously tell people to watch because they are fun and they are talented: Arizona. Arizona is fun now. They're coming and back, man. They're coming back. Yeah, Jed Fish has done a great job of rebuilding this program. And when you look at Arizona, they have really good players at receiver. Uh, Jacob Cowling is going to be a top 100 draft pick this year. Tetairoa McMillan is my dude. He could be wide receiver one in 2025. Jaden Delora isn't necessarily a good quarterback, but he's like those run and shoot quarterbacks from Hawaii where they're like fun bad where they're just going to chuck it up and throw for a bunch of yards, but they're going to throw a ton of picks too. That's yeah. Delora. And Michael Wiley, the running back, he's going to end up being a draft pick. I really like him as a sleeper. Their left tackle, Jordan Morgan, six seven, like 320. He's probably going to go in the first round. Like There's talent on that team, considering how they were basically dog shit for the better part of 10 years when they had guys coming in, they're like Kevin Summon and Rich Rod coaching. Jedfish is right at the ship. And they've used yeah. the transfer portal incredibly well to help reshape that program. And they're in a much, much better spot now than they have been in a long time.
2: Uh, two more things I want to touch on. One was uh, the blood week in the FCS. Um, lots of ranked teams uh, eating shit that week. Um, last week, I should say um, all a uh, bunch of upsets by unranked teams, uh, the powers in that um, two. um Trent Dilfer not having a good time as the uh, coach of UAB just uh, does not seem to be up to it so far. At least maybe he can write that ship. But the, the desperate attempt at a uh, celebrity coach a la Dion, only it
1: doesn't work, uh, is not a great look. Yeah, it's it's not the best look, but at the end of the day, eh, Whatever.
2: Uh, and I guess I will ask you. Uh, you know, I'm always a fan of underdogs, small conference teams, and so forth. Marshall is my favorite team. Um, How far you... are you
1: from Marshall?
2: Uh, not a couple hours. I could I could make the jaunt if I had you know a motivation. Okay. Um, who do you think's the best uh, Group of Five team this year? Ooh, that's a great question. Um,
1: because I don't I, think I... there's a real clear cut like Cincinnati a couple years ago kind of deal, you know. There's no uh, this team could make the playoff kind of team, but yeah. Fresno State is really good. They've done a great job rebuilding that um, it not even a rebuild, but retooling after Jake Hayner and Jalen Cropper and Nico Remigio left last year. You got Mikey Keene, who is the backup at uh, UCF, and he lost the job to John Rice Prumley, uh, who is a stud on my college fantasy football team, by the way. 50 teamer. I'm five and zero. I'm in a 52 fantasy stuff. football league. Yeah, and I'm 5 and 0 baby. My receivers sicko. can't shit. But I won every game by with by less than 5 points. I am I am the I am the 2022 Minnesota Vikings this year. I'm just winning close games. But yeah, so they got Mikey Keen, who honestly I thought was a better quarterback, but Rice Plumley was better for the system because Malzon really likes to do a lot of running stuff with the quarterback position and Keen's a passer. So they hey, Brought him in. Jalen Gill has turned into a great uh, player in that Nico Ramigio role. And they're running through teams. They're 5-0 right now. I'm a big Texas State fan. Texas State taken over by G.J. Kinney, who was the head coach at Incarnate Word. Um, I'm shocked he, he only got the Texas State job and didn't get something more high profile because of what he is. But sometimes you just have to, um, when you're making the jump from FCS, you have to take a smaller job. And he's done a great job with that program. They're four and one on the year, and they're four and one against the spread as well. Their only loss against the spread was against Nevada. They were down seventeen nothing. They were favored by seventeen points. They they scored thirty five in a row and a lot of garbage time touchdown for Nevada to cover. I was very upset because I had I'd been betting Texas State all year and I made a lot of money. Um, but I'd probably have to give it to Fresno State. They are an excellent football team and. I thought I'd be saying this about UTSA, but uh, UTSA has dealt with a bunch of injuries, especially to quarterback Frank Harris, who just continues to have to deal with the knee problem. And it's it honestly sucks for him. I feel bad. I will plug Marshall because they are undefeated,
2: though it's kind of bullshit undefeated. (laughs) They have been very fortunate to get to that record, but they've done it against some tough teams. So uh, then again, uh, winning by four against Albany is not exactly a shining example, uh, but they did beat a really struggling Virginia Tech team by touchdown and uh, not terrible Dominion team, I think, by six. So I don't know. They are undefeated. They're one of the last 15-ish teams to be undefeated. I'm not sure how much longer that'll last because they are going to uh, North Carolina State this weekend when North Carolina State does not suck. so yeah, yeah, but North Carolina State also isn't good. Yeah, that is true. That is true. They could pull off another like five-point win and just keep the nonsense going. Uh, James Madison,
1: also worth mentioning in this space, I feel like. Yeah, James Madison's really good, and because they're trans transitioning from the FCS, which I think is a stupid bullshit rule. It is a stupid rule, but they are not in- eligible for anything. No, like you're going up, you're not going down. Like let them let them play in a bowl game. Well, so okay, so if there aren't enough six and six teams to play in bowl games, they're eligible, but they're not eligible straight up, and that sucks. James Madison's really good.
2: They are all right. I think that's enough football here. I don't. I don't even feel like getting into the NFL this week. Um, unless you want to drop anything real quick, but let's do well, the wrestling I'll, stuff. I'll say this: want.
1: the Vikings play the Chiefs this week, and I'm not looking forward to it.
2: Uh, you know, the NFL can be so stupid. Sometimes they can win by ten,
1: and I wouldn't even blink. It's just you know. Yeah, you're probably right, but you're also wrong. So
2: yeah, <laughs> they shouldn't. They're not better, but you know it can happen. Just weird stuff can happen all right wrestling is a thing we talk about on this podcast and i'm not like picking tyler's brain uh, for the good <laughs> of the public and also just for my own entertainment um let's talk a little bit news about AEW. there's not very much this week but uh there's some notable stuff going on first of all uh, Dave Meltzer on the F4W board uh, did say that he knows more wrestlers in AW that are interested in going to WWE than he did two months ago. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of intrigue over there in the locker room about how Jade Cargill gets treated when she gets debuted, uh, if she gets booked well and everything um yep. Cody making that jump definitely got treated like a big superstar even if I think WWE kind of fumbled the bag with him in the booking uh but you know they haven't made him look like a fool I will say um main event of WrestleMania notwithstanding uh so I don't know I mean I think we're approaching a point where there's definitely going to be some jumps um I mean of course Edge just made the jump to AEW uh and that's what makes you know A two major company. Tyler, did you just beef it?
1: No, um, (laughs) my dogs are on the other end of my uh, sectional, um, chewing on bones, and one of the bones just fell to the floor. All
2: right. Well, that's all it is. Then it's all good.
1: Uh,
2: But, but yeah, I mean, I think we're in a position where you know it's very much going to be people jumping, and I think the at least as far as the health of AEW is concerned, I think the biggest. Thing they have to make sure of is that uh, they don't lose key players. You know, I mean, uh, that sounds kind of obvious, but they need to identify, you know, who really matters to them. Like, I'm super high on Daniel Garcia uh, personally. If they don't think that he's worth it, then they're not going to make that offer to him. And, you know, he could end up in WWE. I think AEW will work much better for him because he's more of a smaller work rate guy. And that kind of goes against WWE's preferences. But, you know, at the same time, you got to get paid, you know, and if he gets a better offer from WWE, he's definitely going to have to consider it just as an example. Um, but there, there's foundational guys like, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously, like MGF would be a bad jump. Uh, there sounds like that there is an extension signed of some length a while back. Um, Ricky Starks, I think, would be a big blow. And Mm -hmm. then you have all the established stars. Like, obviously, I'm not, like, holding my breath that Moxley's going to make a jump. But, you know, you wouldn't want to lose someone of his caliber. Moxley signed to a four-year deal. Yeah. So, and, and like, Kingston's obviously sticking around since he just got a four-year deal. But, you know, if they lose, like, a young talent that is on the come up, you know, um, there's already some, I think, kind of foolish comparisons that – you know WWE is getting younger while AEW is getting older, which is true in a way because they sign like Edge, who was not previously available to them. Uh, but I mean, like we're starting from a point where AEW already had a younger roster of push guys than mm-hmm. WWE. Um, and if you look at um, <laughs> there was a pretty ridiculous article on uh, USA Network about um their their, their website, uh, their PR arm. About how uh, WWE had just made a massive move by signing, wait for it, Brian Pillman Jr.,
1: <sighs>
2: which was uh, a fantastic piece of propaganda. Um, but there, you know, they're, they got some people believing it, which is amazing because having watched a decent bit of Brian Pillman Jr., mm, stain it. Have, just, have you
1: have you ever watched the show The Newsroom, Fred? Um, I'm aware of it, but I have not, sadly. Okay, one, you need to watch it. I should, I know. And and never listen to our friend Iron Mike Spears talk about Aaron Sorkin. I just need to point that out. I'll bury Aaron Sorkin from some of the clips I've seen, but I can can honestly say uh, I've never sat down and watched a Sorkin show. I I recommend, well, one, if you haven't, you need to watch The West Wing. It's absolutely phenomenal. Two, the newsroom is 26 episodes. They're about an hour each. But they, they basically take a guy who, he's, He's like a a Tucker Carlson, Anderson Cooper. He's a cable news ho- anchor, and oh, they dropped their second bone, and bone down. Yep. So he was just so focused on ratings, and then he gets this new executive producer, and they decide to do the news, and, and um, they go after the Tea Party because this was made in, like the early 2010s, so the Tea Party was just really coming around, and they talk about rhinos. And it's like Republican in name only. Right. Yeah. That and name. that that's kind of what Brian uh, Pillman Jr. is. He, he's he's like a a like a star in name only because his dad's was Brian Pillman. <laughs> like yeah. that that's that's where I think some of this is coming from. And honestly, that article was written for SEO purposes only. And mm-hmm. those are like I do a lot of aggregation for my job. I don't like it, but it. it by having the like aggregation style pieces, they pay the bills. But even I have limits. I won't write that. Come on,
2: come on. It was. Uh, I hope the guy didn't pull anything stretching that much. But yeah, like, look, I I can't rule out that maybe maybe he um that Brian Pillman Jr. with a boost of confidence will become a great worker and or a good you know a, a charismatic guy. And there were points in his run in AEW where he looked better than others. I remember he had a match against House of Black where he uh, he slipped on the ropes and botched a move pretty badly. And it felt like that was just the end of him having confidence in AEW. Maybe that's not a fair uh, diagnosis because he didn't get that many opportunities afterwards. Uh, but, it, you know, that's kind of the easy uh, story to draw with him. But I just, you know, I watched him when I uh, went to Dynamite back in January. He was one of the guys in the car, and I watched him closely because I was really interested in seeing his progression, and it felt like he had, if anything, uh, regressed. He he just didn't look that uh, good in the ring, Uh, like very comfortable with his steps, his footwork. Um, And I don't claim to be an expert on knowing what proper footwork looks like, but his kind of stuck out as kind of off kilter. I don't know. Maybe that was just a bad interpretation for me, but I'm just thoroughly unimpressed by the total uh, Brian Pillman package. And that was in basically, you know, uh, his honorary hometown, you know, like an hour and a half away from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, anyways, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. just catching strays on this conversation.
1: Well, uh, and you know what? It's not Brian Pillman Jr. the person. It's Brian Pillman Jr., the professional wrestler who's just honestly. Not very good, and I'm glad he's getting the payday in WWE.
2: Yeah, good for him to get paid. Um, Always get paid. Um, Yeah, Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, something to watch. It could definitely, I mean, you know, worst-case scenario of multiple major or future stars jumping would be bad for AEW. Not like the company is now dead bad, but, like, it's not what you want to have happen, obviously, so... But we'll watch that because, you know, there could be major news at the end of this year. And uh, it's up Mm -hmm. to Tony Khan to make sure they don't don't lose that business or don't lose those business movers.
1: Yeah, I think jumps overall are good and healthy for the business. But at the end of the day, I think it's all depending on who jumps and how Mm -hmm. many. Like, if you had the New Japan jump of Nakamura, the Good Brothers, and AJ Styles all at once, that's bad. Uh yeah. and it, New Japan is obviously structured in a way to be able to be just fine from that. Be, especially because I, I don't I couldn't tell you how big of a ticket mover AJ Styles was, but we know Nakamura was a big ticket mover. And the yeah. Good Brothers were were great pieces to have in that, but they weren't moving tickets. Uh no. but they had guys ready to step up Kenny Omega, Kodo Ibushi, uh, and they were prepared for it. AW, I think, would be f- fine in the sense that they'd be prepared for it, but perception-wise in America is a lot different than perception-wise in Japan. Mm-hmm. So it could be real bad for them.
2: Yeah, so we'll watch the space, um, you know. Uh, and, and, of course, it's all timing, too. If they lose, like, four guys over the course of a year, it looks not as bad as four guys at once. So... Mm-hmm. You know, that'll play a role, too. Uh, But let's move on. I want to talk about some injuries because uh, WrestleDream was a little brutal. Um, Now, Ray Phoenix, uh, you know, looked pretty damn good, I think, in Dynamite this past week with a fantastic match against Nick Jackson. I went four and a half on that bad boy and an early start on the uh, Dynamite Dozen for this coming year. Cheap plug. Um, but you know, he did say that he's been dealing with an old injury that was uh re aggravated back at Grand Slam when he won the title. Um Excalibur mentioned on air the possible curse of the international championship post Orange Cassidy. Um you know hopefully Phoenix is feeling better. You know, you could tell he's still kind of ginger at points and he worked it well into his selling, I think, but you know, hopefully he's doing all right. Uh, two other major concerns off of uh, Wrestle Dream. Darby Allen may have hurt an arm; he was in a sling at the uh, presser afterwards. Um, I guess it was a good sign that he was at the presser, not the hospital. Um, but you know, hopefully, he he did not appear on Dynamite this week. Hopefully, he's doing okay. But there's a possibility that he could be missing some time there. And uh, Mark Davis, uh, according to his Twitter, broke his wrist. Uh, which sucks, uh, but it also explains some of the stuff going on in the tail end of their match with FTR, where it just looked like he could not lift anyone with one of his arms.
1: The fact that Darby hasn't really been hurt his entire run AEWs and damn miracle. The, some yeah. of the bumps he's taken, the bumps he took against Christian were mm-hmm. astronomically nuts, and even yes. like for Darby Allen, they were nuts. Christian missed the spot where he was—he was throwing him on the actual steps and not like the top of the, st- the steel steps. He told Christian to do it again, and Christian did it again. Ah, oh, Yeah. that those spots were like Samoa Joe diving down the the stairs at Bound for Glory against Sting, where he landed on his hip, and it felt like a- after that he just kind of was never the same, but. Man, I don't want Darby to get hurt. I'm not wishing Darby to get hurt. I'm honestly floored that Darby hasn't gotten hurt.
2: Yeah. Just got to hope that he uh, continues to be healthy. But, you know, I, I typically think the, uh, the you know, concern sometimes about bumps people take is a little much because they're professional wrestlers. They know what their body can take. Uh, but Darby is the exception where I sometimes do uh, worry about him. Um, I think he just goes a little too far sometimes. And I worry about the long-term, um, long-term uh, ramifications of some of these pump, bumps excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, that he is taking. Um, Mark Davis, I assume, will be out. I mean, we got Z- uh, Kyle Fletcher. And, you know, it also appears that maybe Sam Guevara is a little banged up since he did not wrestle in a planned match uh, last night. Uh, so that's another one to watch for. Uh, Zack Saber Jr. Uh, challenged Brian Danielson to a rematch in either England or Japan. So hopefully we get that match again because uh, that match ruled on Wrestle Dream. Um, I know you haven't watched it yet, somehow you fool. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> it was a uh, fantastic, listen, easy five stars.
1: I passed out while watching the rest of the show last night, and then I'm like, okay. I woke up on the couch. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll wake up around 730. I'll finish the show. It won't be good. I will look at my phone. It's 850. I'm like, fuck.
2: It's okay. I say man. just quit your job and just watch wrestling.
1: <laughs> That's yeah, a good um, idea. Listen, my wife makes a good amount of money. She doesn't make that much money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like,
2: not, not a serious suggestion. But yeah. you do need to watch that for next week, man. It's oh, so I will good. be watching it. Don't you worry. Uh, good. Don't you worry um next up uh aw is uh there's apparently interest both from aw and from katsuhiko nakajima in a possible deal um a fantastic performer who can't uh apparently could not keep himself from getting into hot water and noah um but you know that is intriguing if nothing else uh you know, it's curious. I think to see what how he would fit into the AEW roster and what role he would be put in. Uh, but you know, he's a legendary guy from Japan. You know, and uh, great worker. Um, never got a real main event push sustained there. Sometimes for you know the, the reason of uh, knocking out his opponents on accident, and sometimes maybe not so much accident. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Maybe we just get him together with Roosh and teach him how to be a model citizen.
1: <clears throat> Look, bring in Nakajima. You have to try. Yeah, like, dude, Nakajima would rule in this company. Are you kidding? Just uh, imagine the the fun and ridiculous matches that he could have. And then you could potentially have more crossover with New Japan because AEW and New Japan are like their partner companies. Hell, you could send Nakajima to CMLL. Let him face off against Atlantis Jr. and Mascara Dorada. That'd be fun as hell. Like, bring bring in Nakajima. I need it. I I need it for many, 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 many reasons.
2: And finally, uh, Julia Hart and Lee Johnson are taking time off, reportedly. If not now, then very soon for their wedding and honeymoon. So congratulations to the happy couple. And uh, yeah, get some time to yourselves. Take some time.
1: Yeah, um, good for them. And we're going to talk about Julia Hart because I was very impressed with Julia Hart against Chris Statlander. That match ruled. It was great. It was yeah. Definitely overachieved from my expectations, and good on them for pulling it off. Remember when I said that I thought that it was going to be a, like, I, I was at like an eight, I think, to see it because I was really intrigued on how they would both work. Yeah, it over delivered, and yeah. I, I was very happy with it.
2: Yeah, so cool stuff from them. Um, well, I guess it's time to talk about the pay-per-view. Now, I uh, I didn't take many notes for it because I was reviewing it for VoicesOfWrestling.com um, and uh, but this was, I mean, just once again, just the uh, the uh, AEW delivers on pay-per-view rule uh, provides true again or proves true again. Um they uh, just a great show, um, top to bottom for the most part. You know, the pre show was solid at points. Um, you know, I uh, definitely highlight was uh, because I let's, I, you know, I don't know how you want to run through it, but I got to talk about, you know, bef- before I even get to Josh Barnett, who I was starting to transition to there. We got to talk about the Inoki tribute that opened the real air quotes pre-show because I skipped the half hour of, uh, Renee and, uh, Stokely talking. Uh, but you know, the, the nice, uh, they did a nice little tribute to Inoki with his grandchildren in the ring. And then in, look, I will bury AEW production a lot of the time because they can't not screw up audio or other stuff. It's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. the number of missteps they have at some points, given how long they've been doing this, but having the grandchildren of Antonio Noki in the ring, doing the really nice, lovely stuff with the flowers and everything, doing the Ichi Sanda San chant, which the crowd was not clued into whatsoever. Um, Cutting then to Christian Cage, watching the TV and seeing the, uh, The grandchildren of the not too, you know, fairly recently deceased uh, Antonio Inoki. They knew what they
1: were doing. And it was very funny. I enjoyed that quite a bit. I'm glad you enjoyed that. And you know what I really enjoyed up this pre-show? Josh Barnett.
2: Yeah, let's transition here because (laughs) we got to talk about Josh Barnett, who kind of a doof, but I love him for being such a doof. Um, So that match was great. I really wish. Let's not let that overshadow. But...
1: Yes. I really wish Fred that we would have gotten Josh Barnett, um, pretending to go after Jay white again. I need, I, that.
2: uh, I'm just glad Jim Ross's bouncer got a booking good for him. Um, <laughs> I know that if I was on commentary out there, I would have been really biting my tongue to not make that oh. joke. Um, I'd be sitting right next to Jim Ross. And you know, that would be pretty rude. But yeah, it is a hundred percent. Uh I will always remember the uh the, the Josh Barnett getting outraged at Jay White spot five years ago or whatever it is now. Um, but this match was great. It was a great uh um blood sport match. Um, it worked really well, and then afterwards we got Josh Barnett putting over that young kid, Claudio Castanoli, who I think is the exact same age as Josh Barnett, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh if not, they're very close in age. And you know, obviously because Josh Barnett's been doing the uh MMA thing for most of his career. Claudio is Does Josh up.
1: Barnett feel like he's 60 years old? <laughs> he I know carries
2: himself like that.
1: God, he feels like he's sixty.
2: Definitely carries himself like that. Claudio is three years younger than Josh Barnett. Um, Jeez. Okay. Uh, so they are about the same age, but yeah, I mean, Josh Barnett put in over the young kid in an, what I have to assume was a unscheduled promo where he just got the mic. It was like, oh kid, you'll get there one day. <laughs> <With> Claudio Castagnoli. <laughs> cracked me up so much. Um, I think Josh Barnett is very much up his butt, but you know, I, I enjoy it all the same.
1: It adds yeah. with Josh Barnett. Yeah. I, I thought it was a nice little touch having him on the pre-show. I thought it, he worked really well. Claudio, as far as <coughs> excuse me, um, the elements of like power. And I thought that was really cool. Um, obviously we know Josh Barnett had that wonderful shoot match against Fujita over in Japan um the martial arts rules match right that's right uh, but uh, i i think it's cool to have wrestlers like that who wrestle a really different style than everything else on your show because it gives you it gives you a different element and i like that
2: yeah um I I thought it was a really nice style uh, change for the show, and it fit in really nicely with the Inoki history, and it was just good. It was a blast. Uh, The crowd got into it by the end, because they worked really well. Um, Claudio turned out to be really good at that uh, style. Not a surprise. Um, And um, I liked it. I went four stars on it. Also really good on the pre-show, or pretty good on the pre-show, I should say, was the Fire Pro, uh, random button eight man memorial. Um, Athena and Billy Starks teaming with naturally, as we all expected, Keith Lee and Satoshi Kojima to face off against Diamante, Mercedes Martinez, and the uh, two man Shane Taylor promotions of Shane Taylor and Lee Moriarty. Uh, this was a fun match. I went three and a half on it, and uh, it was just really enjoyable. It was a nice opener.
1: This pre-show was fun. It had good matches. It had weird matches. These two were weird matches. But overall, it's hard to complain. You're getting people on the pre-show. You're giving them uh, unique spectacles, which I think is good for a pre-show because it kind of tells you, hey, if we're giving you this kind of uniqueness on the pre-show, imagine what you're going to get on the main card. I I think that's smart business. I do,
2: too. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I will say that... um, the other two matches, less good. I mean, Luchasaurus beating Nick Wayne was just a straightforward match uh, telling the story of Nick Wayne not being at that level yet and setting up uh, the turn later. And then also the um, – and okay, I want to talk about the acclaimed a little bit. They don't suck, uh, and I mean the proper acclaimed, not including Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn is what he is at this age. I mean, he's a big jack guy that can kind of move, and so he's pretty limited. As, as far as what he could do in the ring. But, like, I think the acclaimed are talented in the ring, but they've really fallen into uh, a very samey pattern of match. Um And it's kind of frustrating with them. And, you know, as a, as a you know, a match-quality geek, you know, I would like to see them do a little more. I do feel like TMDK pulled them out of that rut a little bit and helped them have a better version of the match they've been specializing in recently. Mm-hmm. Uh But I still was kind of like, "Uh, I wish this was better. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Bowens and Caster leave in ring stuff on the table and have been doing it a lot this year after a pretty impressive uh, improvement at the tail end of last year.
1: That's a really interesting take. I, I think you're onto something, but I also think they haven't regressed. I think it's just,
2: yeah, it's not a not a physical regression or anything. It's just what they do is just, you know, this. And it's just mm-hmm. shtick. And, like, the shtick is fun and it's over as we get an on-cam appearance of Odie, I believe. <clears throat> no, this is Eclair. Oh, I Eclair. Can... Yeah, she's a good girl. It's dog time, baby. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's they can have better matches. They just haven't been. And, uh, you know, which wish they had better matches. That's all. <clears throat>
1: Yes, I, w- I wish they would have better matches too. But at the end of the day, um, Eclair's happy with them, and that's what matters. Yeah. Speaking of wishing
2: for better matches, uh, we finally get to the opener on the pay per view of MJF against the Righteous, and uh, let's talk MJF, man, because it's you know it's here, it's time. Um, I like the Righteous. I wish the Righteous were getting a bigger push. They got a decent push over the past couple weeks to set them up for the spot, but one, this still felt very much like a a pay per view opener rather than a main event, and to have a mm-hmm. you know, world champion in that spot is Stupid. weird. Yeah, it's not a good usage of him, I think. And two, man, the this babe face MJF stuff. You know, I was talking back before all in about how they could have made him. I really felt like he could have been the biggest babyface in wrestling if they had set it up where he was betrayed by Adam Cole. And regardless of winning or losing that match under their circumstances, yeah. would have been had the crowd 100% behind him and we would have had a good storyline. And unfortunately, they didn't do that. They just kept him as buddies. And what we've got since then has been, I think, a creative failure. Um, I, I think it's still over to some extent in the building, but I don't think it's really translating to ratings or to um, or to uh, you know, um, ticket sales especially. the Ticket sales for AEW have been pretty rough at points. But the, you know, it's just very frustrating because we all know how good MJF is and it just feels like he's doing bottom barrel, you know, Hulk Hogan impersonations and it's not working properly and it's not a success. And I, you know, I love MJF as a performer. I just wish that he, uh, you know, that he was uh, doing better, you know, doing better stuff and doing more entertaining, creative stuff.
1: Yeah. MJF doing this bit sucks ass. I hate it. I I don't care if people want to have this be like uh what do you call it um like my brain is absolutely fried Fred, but they wanted it to be WWE without Vince McMahon. Well, that's what they're getting. And quite frankly, those of us who don't want WWE hate this shit. And I think there are a lot of people who watch AEW that don't want WWE this product. they We just don't. We want it to be a good wrestling show. We want it to be what AEW was early on. AEW early on kicked ass. AEW was a wrestling promotion. We didn't get these stupid vignettes. These vignettes can all go to hell. And... You extrapolate that with what this match was. Like, it, it just feels like the MJF vanity hour. And I absolutely hate it. Why in the world would I just want to watch MJF do stupid shit? And, and it's not even like Darby Allen kind of stupid shit where Darby's just doing all kinds of insane stuff in the ring and taking these weird, crazy bumps. It's little things, like the kangaroo kick. Dude, the kangaroo kick is so offensive. Like, it's... And then the Outback Steakhouse gimmick with the Australian team, Aussie Open. Offensive. Like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I I just hate this, and... There's nothing redeeming about this, Fred. Absolutely nothing redeeming about it. MJF should just go back to ripping on each other, doing the cheap heat, uh, uh, make fun of local sports team, and then rip the opponent with a, a story about his, his childhood. Go back to that. This fucking sucks. And if you like it, I'm glad you like it. and you, And that's completely fine. I'm happy for you. It still fucking sucks. End of rant.
2: Yeah, I thought that, um in particular, using the righteous in the spot when they're not an established team, I think really did them wrong. I think it really made them look like goofballs in a, um in what could have been a big spot for them. And I think that... Uh, doing that to both them and Aussie Open, who were not established to an American audience yet, I think is going to hurt them both. Um, And I think that it's not a good way to uh, handle this, you know, handle this storyline, handle this, uh, this work. And, uh, you know, I just wish that they, uh, I don't know, I had had better ideas and better uh, usage of, mjf because he's a talent he's a great talent i mean he, he finished tops in the um 30 under 30 we did for a reason i think he was number one on the sports illustrated one as well it's obvious like how good he is but just yeah this ain't working this ain't working at all and uh you know i thought that the You know, it's getting to the point where, like, whenever he is on screen, I just groan. Um, And for someone like MJF, that absolutely cannot be the case.
0: Fred, he's great,
1: but he's doing shit. It's like watching a Leonardo DiCaprio film, The Revenant, that won him Best Actor, and then him going down and doing some community theater with people who don't know what they're doing, and he sinks to their level. That's what this is. It's bottom feeder bullshit. It's this really is... uninspired. Uh, no. It's
2: not not something that I uh, I'm excited to see at all. And uh, you know, this Hulk Hogan esque uh, main style, like it kind of worked with Samoa Joe because Samoa Joe fit nicely into the uh, the monster thing. But all this shtick, like you can make wrestling fans chant whatever. It's not that impressive because you're already over. And wrestling fans just like chanting shit. You know, it's one of the more annoying things I think of the uh,
1: the asp. You know, the the community or whatever. But well, you don't like them chanting. Uh, John Cena sucks.
2: Well, that that part's fine, but like tofu and all this stuff that just isn't interesting. Is never forget. I was the first one to call a wrestler tofu. Yeah, and uh, I think you should apologize if you inspired this. I think this
1: this may, uh, you may regret claiming that. Ugh. It was not meant for Jay White, used incredibly poorly by MJF. Just yeah. brutal. Let's move on. I'm done talking about this bozo.
2: All right, fair enough. Uh, next up, we got the, uh, as I closed out the tab because I'm very good at doing this, uh, we got the true opener of the pay per view uh, Katsuyori Shibata and Eddie Kingston this you know the eddie kingston i love japan tour is the absolute uh, opposite of the mjf i love 80s wwf stuff it works so well i love it i'm endlessly entertained by it i thought this was a great hard-hitting match and um oh and four and a half stars on it i did not write very much about it for the review because uh i don't know it's just two dudes beating the hell out of each other and it's awesome
1: Eddie Kingston's run right now feels like a vanity project in a good way, where he's just wrestling a bunch of dudes in a style that he was just absolutely obsessed with growing up, and it's producing really good stuff. It, it is uh, the Jun Akiyama match, awesome. Um, Katsuyori Shibata, awesome. He goes to Japan and wins the Strong Openweight title against Kenta, awesome. The interactions of Toshiaki Kawada, awesome. And it's so many of these little things and it's great because they're interworking his just passions and desires for the world of pro wrestling into canon. It rules so much. And I thought this was the best Shibata match he's had since his return. It, he, it felt like they were working a normal match, not a match around Shibata's head. The some of the spinning back backfists actually landed like on the head and not the not the trapezius muscle like they usually do. This was great. Um, I gave it four and a half. I thought these two worked incredibly hard. They they beat the piss out of each other. And I thought at the end, I almost bought Shibata winning via submission. And then Eddie got out of it and hit a few moves, the Northern Lights bomb, and then you got the the power up on the uh, one count kick out, then you had spinning back fist the two count, and then the power bomb with the stack for for the pin. It was honestly just very well done, and I I really appreciated how quality this match was.
2: Yeah, this was great. It was a nice uh, steer out, way to steer out of the rut with uh, the MJF match, and uh, you know just another uh, great pay per view match for Betty Kingston.
1: Yeah, Eddie Kingston rules. Um, next up, we had the aforementioned women's match, I believe, which was Julia Hart and Chris Statlander. We mentioned it before. This over-delivered. Mm-hmm. There was a, yeah. uh, a couple of small, like, I'm not even going to call them sloppy spots, but just not smooth. Yeah. Um, But they worked really hard. And Julia Hart is disgustingly young. I, I think she's 23 or 24. Because she joined the company at twenty, so she's got a a long time ahead of her. Very, very good professional wrestler. Considering she started. Julia. Julia is twenty-one. Wait, she's twenty-one right now. I'm twenty-one right now. Oh my god, that's she gross. was born in two thousand one. <clears throat> that this is she's here at twenty-one. They have something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if she's ever going to be. I want you to be my world champion as a drawing world champion because we know that world champions aren't always the draw, um, with the t- with the promotion. And but Hart has a lot of potential and just the growth that she's shown since she was appearing on Dark and getting a couple TV matches. This was excellent, and I gave this four stars. I didn't think it was overly phenomenal, but Statlander sometimes can work down. Uh, below her level and i thought she held up her end of the bargain really well this is this is great
2: yeah it um was just a lot of fun i loved it um just great stuff a plus plus um which i mean was a four-star match but i mean for what i was expecting was a total success um next up hey i just want
1: to say as my dogs are kind of surrounding me and you can you can see this is Odie. hi Odie. um this is why i was so excited to see the match because i was so intrigued how these two would work together and how it would come around because of where julia hart was and how we've seen chris Statlander struggle against lesser opponents
2: yeah and uh this was a good um this was a good example of uh both of them stepping up really. I can't even say this was like uh, stat carrying the match or anything. I just thought it was a uh, a good performance by both of them. They both stepped up and did well, so mm-hmm. good on them. Absolutely. Uh, next up was a uh, four man or four way, I should say, tag match uh, for the to set up a match with FDR for the tag belts. Was the Guns, the Lucha Bros, hooking Orange Cassidy. And the young bucks, and uh, I'm going to step away for one second to get a drink. But I thought this was fun, but you know, also um, <clears throat> not as great as it could have been with some of the guys in there. But when you have the guns who aren't that great in the mat in the ring yet, um, and also Ray Phoenix like being super protected, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was probably about what it should have
1: been expected to be. I think. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. This match kind of felt for lack of a better term, lifeless. Uh, it was just a bunch of dudes doing spots. And I like that they have these kind of sh- uh, matches on the card, but I think they've gotten a little long in the tooth in this company. And, hey, let's just have four teams compete for a title shot. Can we really find a better way to get a title shot? Do we really have to do, hey, let's have another four way. Uh, we, we're better than this. We can do better than this. And, it's just really annoying and frustrating that this is how things are continuing to grow and evolve with AEW. I, I just think we're better and it was still good. There was still some cool spots and you had the young bucks get the win. And overall, it's really hard to hard to truly complain about this match, Fred. But as I said, while well, you're grabbing a, a beverage quick. It just felt lifeless. It just, like, I'm, I'm sick of, Hey, let's just do a four way to, that crown a new champ or, like, a number one contender. Like, we can do yeah, better. We should do better. They've been leaning on, on that really
0: hard, and
2: uh, <clears throat> it'd be nice to just have a tag team storyline, you know, uh, to set that up. But I feel like in this uh, this spot, it worked pretty reasonably well, um, uh, if from a logic perspective, because, you know, it, it it's a decent way to get us to Young Bucks FTR again without it, you know, so quickly without it feeling kind of contrived. Um, so yeah, um, but I thought this was fun enough. I mean, it was a decently fun four-star match to me. I thought it was, uh, pretty enjoyable and, um, you know, not a, not a must wreck my schedule to go see level match, but you know, good stuff all the same. Now, what you need to go out of your way to see if you haven't is Hangman Page,
1: Swerve Strickland. Tyler. I, I like watched it. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> it ruled. Um, one of my favorite things in professional wrestling is Prince Nana. I love Prince Nana. He, he's he's just... He adds an element of fun. He is a <clears throat> manager without being involved in like literally every single match trying to change the outcome. He's a great second. Kind of reminds me of New Japan seconds where they'll come out and they just won't do anything. They're just there for support. I like that. Yeah, he's interfered a couple times, but it's not the entirety of his gimmick. And this was great. Swerve was awesome. This felt like a match to put Swerve over in a big spot to get him ready for a potential title shot. Or, like, if you gave Swerve a title run, I ain't complaining. He's awesome. And this was great. I gave it four and a half. I thought these two worked really well together. I thought they worked really hard. Um There was a couple really cool Swerve spots where he did the double stomp where... Hangman was hanging up from the top rope. Um, the, that like step up kick he does to the side of the head is awesome. Yeah. This was just great. Uh, what have I been saying for a year now? Practically.
2: Swerve is a main eventer. He has all the tools. He just needs the push. And we finally got that with this storyline. We finally got, Hey, let's treat Swerve Strickland like a main eventer. And thank God for that because the guy is so talented. Um, and it's this time, you know, I mean, you know, they don't have to put him in right now, but like, I feel like he's so ready for a, uh, for a spot like this. And I thought he really delivered well in this match. Uh, I thought he and Hangman just had a, a great outing and I went four and three quarter stars on it and uh, loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, The, the foot stomp on the, uh, On the apron to page looked insane, um, amongst other moves in this match, but this was fantastic and probably my second favorite match
1: on the night. Yeah, I loved it. Um, it was hard hitting, it was explosive, it was just great. Um, four and a half here as well. I more Adam Hangman Page in AEW, and (laughs) I think we can safely say or at least speculate that. A lot of his absence was due to CM Punk. Well, he's back. And this rules. More please. More please.
2: I also feel like there was a good amount of paternity leave in there, you know. Well, so he let's... got
1: paternity leave right before the um his right before he won the title at full gear in 2021. So I'm not gonna say you're wrong, but I'm that doesn't feel t- timing wise, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. But
2: now he doesn't have that black cloud around him and who knows what that could mean. Yeah, that's fair. A uh, little uh little reference there to CM Punk I'd have to be have to think. Um next up Ricky Starks and Wheeler. You know, this was they could definitely do better these two, but this was just a little like, hey, let's get Ricky Starks a win here kind of deal. Yeah, it was only like 10 minutes. Yeah, it was just a nice little like you know, the story is this guy's better right now and we're going to show that he's better and try to get him a little more momentum after, you know, a couple of losses to Brian Downs which I don't think really um, hurts or anything, but, you know, it's just nice to keep him hot.
1: Yes, I agree. Um, I think the best part about this match was John Moxley. Moxley on commentary for this and ZSJ. Uh, Even though I... I haven't fully watched everything yet awesome stuff moxley on commentary it's it's like if don west morphed with a with a ufc fighter It just great stuff
2: moxley lost so much money <laughs> on commentary last night but he was or sunday night, but he was so entertaining
1: uh just a real blast having him um, it was authentic and i think like when people talk about Don west as a commentator they're like oh he's he, he sucks he doesn't fit the mold who cares if he doesn't fit the mold like the authenticity of Don west's commentary was what made him so great and i i, I genuinely appreciate that being authentic is so important for me when it comes to commentary because that that just does a lot for it
2: You all right there, Fred? Yeah, I was trying to sneak in a bite of a, a granola bar, try to pep me up a little bit. Um,
1: this is a slight flu game for me, so. Trying to hey, sneak listen. I, I, I had my I had my flu game last year, so.
2: Uh, Danielson and Zack Saber Jr. was perfect. It was exactly what you would have hoped for it to be. Um, and um, I mean, John Moxley. <laughs> At commentary, just going, holy shit. <laughs> is... that, if you told me, I, I could be convinced that that was the best commentary moment of the year. Um, you know, it was such a great match. Um, and these two, I mean, just were made for each other. And we're so lucky that we got to see them wrestle because honestly, a few years ago, it just seemed impossible. Um, but now we got Zack Sabre Jr. pretty much at the peak of his in-ring, I have to think. And uh, Danielson still got enough left that he can have great matches, fortunately, because he's just... If you told me you thought he was the best in-ring wrestler of all time, I could not argue with you. Um, and uh, thank God we got Danielson outside of the WWE environment so he could get to see like, what he can really do uh, unfettered. Um, and... This is just perfect. I loved it so much. It I can't say enough great things about it. Um If Danielson hadn't got hurt and missed those couple months, I think we'd be having a real conversation about him in the uh you know the uh in ring wrestler of the year. And maybe just AEW's MVP, uh, you know, is another possibility. But yeah, this is great. Um and then we got ourselves a uh Another great match, uh, the six man tag with the Callus family against the uh, Bay Face Alliance of the Golden Lovers and
1: Chris Jericho. Hell yeah! I haven't watched this one yet either. Okay, I well, watched I'll... the two matches following this. That's but... good. I'll carry. I'll
2: carry this one real quick then. Um, this is just great. I mean, it's a great storyline. Um, you know, you've got the wrong heels. Um, you know, turning face now. <laughs> against the uh, guy who claimed to be their friend but is still the ultimate heel and betrayed them all to put his money on younger talent. And frankly, he was right in kayfabe, Don Callis. (laughs) Now, it took a bunch of cheating to get there, but Don Callis is right because Kenny Omega has not won a big match since the the turn. Chris Jericho's lost, I think, every match since the turn except for the Sam Guevara one where Guevara turned on him.
1: Mm Mm-hmm um and that led to this match
2: yeah and this is a really good storyline this is really solid and um i enjoyed this a lot i thought the work in this was really good kota ibushi had his best outing in AEW to date i still think he's probably more or less shot uh but he looked better and was protected um so that he could you know do his stuff and look cool for a little bit and um but yeah, he was definitely the least involved person in this match, and um, yeah, I mean it was just a, a great face versus heel all star tag and very fun. I, I went think the four, four and a half it, on it.
1: I think the lack of in ring time in general for Abushi is hindering him more than being washed because I think he's not what he was before he got injured, but I also think he's better than what he's been performing at. But you you talk to wrestlers, and if you've been out for a long time, it it can mess with you. And for some, it messes with people differently, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the Young Bucks had talked about how after having two months off and not taking a bump with the brawl out fallout, like they took the first bump, they're like, ooh, yeah, that sucks. Like yeah. it's, it's just different. And being out for basically, Obushi was essentially out for a year and a half, he didn't wrestle. That's a long time. It's a long time to not be in the ring. Yeah. And, I and think he's not there's... exactly
2: working a, a weekly schedule now either.
1: No. I think having a few matches in his belt because you have blood and guts, you have Wembley, and now you have Wrestle Dream. I think you're starting to see some of that rust kick off. I do think there is an element of him being washed, but I think it's overblown to an extent. I think he's going to end up being fine, but he's not what Abushi used to be.
2: Yeah, I mean he he's 100% uh he's lost his his best step and it's really just a question of how much he's got left in the tank right now and maybe it's unfair to judge him harshly because of, you know, rust like you said. Um but you know uh I I still have I definitely have concerns about him. Uh, but we'll see. Um you know, it, it, I don't think it's helping at all to have him only come in every uh, three months and work. Like, I think we need to have Kota Ibushi in on a regular schedule for at least a month just to have him, like, get used to wrestling, you know, but... Um, okay, next up is the World Tag Team Championship match between Asi Open and FTR. And given how much I love their matches last year... um. It's kind of a disappointment, and I hate to say that, but they're really good teams, and this match just—and uh, maybe you know, like I said in my review that I wrote, uh, I may have been fatigued. This may have been a—if uh, the show has been going on a long time, and I'm old and um, getting tired—but it just did not hit like I hoped it would. Now the closing stretch was fantastic, uh, but—and I ended up going like four and a quarter because of how good that was. But it felt like the first half of this match was just kind of a waste.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um I'm trying to think of where to start here. I I did like the the end of this match where uh, Aussie Open hit the big rig, but it looked like shit because they normally don't hit the big rig, and and uh, Kyle Fletcher basically just need uh, Cash yeah. Wheeler in the head. I thought and that this was, was a- kind of it- sick.
2: Yeah, and and frankly, it probably didn't work because Mark Davis had a broken wrist. Um, And honestly, this was like, you know, sometimes people, you know, I think there's an evolution when you're a wrestling fan about how at first you get obsessed with botches, right? So you can like point and go like, ah, that didn't go right. See, I knew that. I'm smart. Look at me, right? I think there's some extent of that. Sometimes botches don't hurt a match. Sometimes they could actually aid it. And I think this was kind of a case of that. Um, The big rig did not go like it was supposed to when Aussie Open did it. But like you said, for kayfabe reasons and for fiscal reasons, um, it makes sense in a way. And it didn't detract from the match for me. Um, And maybe I'm out on like Weirdo Island with this take, but I think that's that's a way I view wrestling is you know, if mistakes happen, that doesn't necessarily mean like, it was bad. You know, sometimes it could actually work out better that way.
1: Yeah. I I, I agree there. I think. Um...
2: I don't want to sound like the weird Chris Chiarco take yet a few months ago. That was like, I've never botched. <laughs> Which is, you know, because any mistake is just actually intentional kind of thing. Like, that, that's crazy. But like, this was a, this, you know, this didn't hurt. I don't think at all.
1: No, I, I thought it it absolutely helped. Um, this was this was a good match. Four stars.
2: I went four and a quarter on it. Um, again, that closing stretch really bailed it out. I thought, and it was fantastic. It was a great last like six or seven minutes. And if the whole match had been like that, we would have been talking about that as like a match of the year contender. Yeah. But we didn't get These two of so,
1: you before. Yeah. All right. Main event. Darby Man, Allen this versus was, Cage, two out of three calls. I, I honestly – I only went
2: four and a quarter on this, and I still kind of feel like maybe I underrated it. But I thought it
1: I, – I, I just want to point ro- this out. It rolled. Fuck you.
2: Yeah, it was great. Um, <laughs> I it was, mean, it, it, was, was, it was fantastic. It was, it was a better – in my mind, it was a better story than a match. Maybe I think that's maybe why I, I feel that
1: way about my own rating. Um, I I think that's why I rated it as highly as I did because I gave this. Um, I almost went four and three quarters. I went four and a half plus. This nice. was excellent in every facet. They, I loved how Darby got the first fall. And yeah, that was nice. Then I figured I figured Christian was going to get the the next two, um, mm-hmm. but. The way he got him, he got the count out with the stairs, and then, um, well, I can't remember how he got the final fall. Did was it hitting the kill switch on the on the exposed mat? Yeah, um, maybe twice. I honestly forget. But, um, look, this was phenomenal. Um, Darby took a bunch of hellacious, hellacious bumps, and. It worked out so well because of it.
2: Yeah, it was um, really impressive. I mean, it was fantastic stuff. Um, Fit perfectly into the Darby Christian storyline. And I love this match, Christian Cage. You know, it's been talked about a lot, and Christian ripped into it, I think, uh, after the... I think at the last pay-per-views press conference, maybe, maybe it was this one. Um, they talked about how, you know, he kind of, when he came in, people were like, oh, you know, Tony Khan hyped him. He's not that good. And he's been fantastic. Um, I, my promo of the year right now. Um, and I think just like a, a cornerstone of AEW. And he's just been a fantastic performer. And, Fan, like the best heel in wrestling right now, I think is
1: is fair to say. Christian Cage is the best wrestler in the world. In that named the last break. <laughs> I, I'm fine I can't. Argue, I can't say you're wrong. <laughs> is Okada better in the ring? Yes. I'm sorry. This whole Christian character. And look, let's transition this to talking about the one really really good thing on Dynamite, and that was Adam Copeland coming down. Look, I'm very high in this Adam Copeland thing. You know why the energy is there. He you can tell he's excited about this. He wants to be here. He wants this, this to be great. This isn't a money grab.
2: Booker T and Impact.
1: This is this dude is passionate about pro wrestling and he wants to be creative and do cool shit. And I'm very excited about that. We'll see how that manifests. I like that he's gonna be doing stuff with Christian Cage because they have a huge rapport. And they've been doing stuff together for decades. They're yeah. childhood best friends. I like that element of it. I think that's objectively great when it comes to how to project out this this edge run. But I love that he's. you could tell he just cares and he wants this. It's not a money grab. I'm sure he's making a ton of money, but it's not a money grab. And I think that's dope. Um, Yeah, he's working. He's working.
2: And Christian's working too. You know, we talked about the crazy bumps that Darby took, but Christian did a frog splash off the top onto a guy on a stretcher. I mean, obviously that
1: sucked for Darby, but it wasn't exactly safe for Christian either. Christian is doing stuff he doesn't have to do because he loves this business. He doesn't have to do any of this. And he's doing it. And, oh, oh, the the Darby roll-up. I thought the best part about it, he rolled Christian's turtleneck over his face. and got Yes, that was great. And
2: then Christian, the the consummate pro, runs out of the ring and is standing around shocked with his turtleneck still up over his head. What a yeah. worker. What a but worker.
1: I, I, the reason why I wanted to transition, we obviously had the Adam Copeland debut afterwards, yes. which, one, it was a great debut overall, but, two, you're coming out to save a guy who's about to get a traumatic brain injury from a concerto and you're yeah. doing your pyro. <laughs> I I thought that sucked. Um, that was very
2: WWE. I will say. Yeah. I will say that was. I think that's really the only part of the uh, Adam Copeland debut slash you know, uh, dynamite debut that felt extremely WWE ish. Uh, everything else has just felt like pro wrestling, and, and I you know there is a difference there. Um, but it you know it's the. Uh, Jeff Hardy did the same thing a few weeks ago, or months ago now, I guess, when he came back to save Matt Hardy from a beatdown. He had to get his dance in and everything. And, like, ah, man, I, I Adam Copeland, uh, I, other than that, and he does deserve a ton for that because it was a little ridiculous. Like, oh, I want to save the Legend Sting from being murdered, but first uh hey everyone i'm over on this side of the stage hey everyone i'm over on this other side of the stage look at my pyro woo uh stupid (laughs) but i mean everything else the uh the, the timing of the stare down the fake uh heel turn turning into a face turn um and then everything on wednesday night um i thought it all worked really well with him
1: and this is a good start for him, and I hope it keeps up. Um, hey, Fred, I, give me give me an air hug real quick. Go fuck yourself. That segment. Okay. Um, first of all, it
2: continues the Adam Copeland says a thousand words while an AEW wrestler owns him thing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, that meme that's been going on for a couple years now um, with the super dramatic music that I can't think of the title of. Uh, but, yeah, like, that was a great segment. Like, Copeland did a nice promo. He did the great, uh, I'm happy to be here. Think of all these great matches I can have that Tony Khan may never book <laughs> because <laughs> it involves putting two stars against each other. <laughs> um, uh, he probably should have been like, and me versus Lee Moriarty, who I'll beat on a rampage in three months. Um, I, I would love to see Lee Moriarty against Adam Copeland. That's not a joke, um, but yeah, and, and so we get you know this really good babyface promo, and I thought it was perfectly solid. I thought it was it was good. I thought it was a nice way to introduce yourself on the TV show. Mm-hmm. And then he gets Christian out there, and uh, they hit the emotional hug. <laughs> and then Christian going just go just edited out, of course, but saying "Go fuck yourself" and leaving. Perfect, 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 perfect. No notes. Um Turning around at the top of the ramp and nailing not only hyping hit edges, you know, debut match or Copeland's debut match in AEW, but also the fact that it's on a Tuesday night next week for Dynamite. Consummate pro, Christian Cage. I hope that once he retires, he gets he stays around in wrestling. You know, agenting or booking or both, or whatever it takes to keep him involved. He is a genius. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think he's kind of been underappreciated for large chunks of his career. I'll again point to the reaction when he debuted being just kind of meh from a lot of people, like acting like they were underwhelmed. This guy is so good. And we're really lucky to have him active again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would love to see a career renaissance for Adam Copeland and AEW. I think that would be fantastic. Um,
1: and I just hope he's able to pull it off. Yeah, I, I think that this is going to end up being really good. And I, I'm really excited for it. This is this is just going to be a lot of fun. And I don't know where this is going to go. But I, I love the idea of uh, Adam leaving WWE because he wanted to one last run with Christian and Christians like, no, yeah, I think it's going to happen, but it's going to take some time and I'm okay waiting because this could be a really fun feud. And now you have edge quasi, um, aligned with sting and Darby Allen, which rules. And, you know, edge is going to come out in full sting face paint. Oh yeah. Edge is an absolute dork. Um, (laughs) I don't mean that insulting. I mean that. In no, that. he's a wrestling That's dork. That's good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Odie. I, yes. You, you're excited about edge too. Um, yeah. it. This is going to be awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited. And um, we should do one last thing before we go. Um, we have to talk about the concern about every program being good, except the world championship program. Oh, buddy.
2: Uh, Look, Okay, I do want to talk about that on Dynamite Summit. I want to specifically talk about the pre-tape with Adam Cole and that uh, it was
1: so not nice, we had to see it twice. Um, um, look. The only thing it was missing is like, let me tell you about my best friends. That bullshit song. Oh, God, yeah. I wanted I wanted to like... Think, oh. I'm not even I, see what I want to do. If
2: I could go the rest of my life without ever seeing another pre-tape with Adam Cole making wacky faces, it'd be too soon. Um for me. To, you know, it just I I don't want to see this ever again. I you know, you could argue that some of it's amusing a little bit, um sure, but I I'm just burnt out on it uh because it's I don't like it. And it's not entertaining to me. It's not fun. It's not funny. Um, I just don't want this in my wrestling. And You know, I've I've talked about enjoying some parts of it, like I, I, some of the, you know, the, the sketch, what two weeks ago now, where Roddy was in the hospital. You know, it had some funny parts. There have been other parts of the Adam Cole MJF stuff that I've enjoyed, mainly the in-ring stuff. Every there's like one line in most of those pre-tapes that would pop me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just I've turned on this so much at this point that like I just don't enjoy it. I think it's really cringeworthy. I think it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, It's not... I'm not... I don't like it. And, you know, I I thought that I had... uh, You know, I enjoyed some sports entertainment type stuff. But, like, this stuff has just... hit a point where I... (sighs) abhor it. And... I I just can't deal with this anymore. I, I hate it. I don't... You know, and maybe... I don't see any indication, you know, in terms of uh, business numbers that it's doing anything impressive. It feels like it's, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily hurting the business of AW, but it's sure as hell not lifting it up. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's actively hurting the quality of shows. And to me, this would be a pretty clear, we got to pull the plug on this kind of thing. Um, I probably would have a higher tolerance for it if it was just in the mid-card and it wasn't, like, 20 to 30 minutes per show sometimes. Mm-hmm. The M- MJF universe. Because, you know, we used to joke about the Cody-verse, you know, uh, fans did back when he was doing his stuff, like, segregated from everything else on the show. But for the most part, it was never this much of a television show. It would be, like, 10, 15 minutes tops. And this is, like, twice the length of that. Yeah. And... You know, it's such a large chunk of the show and, you know, there's all these reports that MJF is uh, booking his own stuff and has that power. Um And, you know, he just obviously, they're, you know, with the contract situation and everything, they, they want to keep him. I mean, it's pretty apparent. And they have them extended to, I forget exactly how long, but, you know, you don't want to upset the young stud you have and like have him leave but at the same time I just think this is untenable and I think you just have to pull the plug on the storyline sooner rather than later. And mm-hmm. I have no confidence that they're going to unfortunately.
1: I don't either. I hate this. This is not what I want from my EW. It's not what most people want from their EW at least I the people I talk to. But yeah. this is this is Fix bad it bad
2: WWE stuff. And like you can I you know, I'm not one of those guys that is so reactionary that's like you cannot do anything WWE has done in the past 20 years. Like there's, you know, I don't think you need to pretend that like everything WWE has done in that time period sucks and is completely bad. You can have some humor in your wrestling. You can have some some sports entertainment for lack of a better term. You know, you can do some of this stuff. But this in particular is The wrong people in the wrong spot. And it's just not good. It's not good enough to make it work. And I just. I can't. I I hate it. And uh, I am begging them to rework this approach. Because it's gotten to a real point of like. I I really do think the Righteous Match was a turning point. um, I think. Because it was just such. A one sided burial of an up and coming act because I mean, in wrestling history, when have people ever got invested in a creepy character? That's <laughs>
0: sarcastic. Um,
2: but like you know, it felt like that they could have been something I'm not saying like Dutch and Vincent main eventers, you know, necessarily, but they could have been productive guys, and they still can. I don't want to make it sound like they're now dead you know they've been murdered by mjf and their bodies are decaying in a ditch somewhere but like you build them up for two weeks and then you you have them lose a match in that fashion where they're treated like total geeks um you're supposed to the characters are supposed to have some menace to them especially dutch and instead they're just portrayed as goofballs and it's just really damaging i i don't know how else to put it like it's you're kind of cannibalizing your own roster and it would be one thing if like the people MJF was doing this to were low card geeks, like established geeks, like people that were not going anywhere. Like if it was Kip Sabian, if it was Sean Spears, um, these guys who um, just obviously are not going to get a big push anytime soon in AEW. Um, QT Marshall would be perfect as the geek on the other side of this stuff but you can't have your world champion in storylines with Sean Spears and QT Marshall and, you know, Aaron solo and these other like lower mid card jobber to the star types. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just a real misuse of your world championship and your young stud wrestler. One of your best performers, one of the industry's best performers. Um, And, like, I've still got MJF, and, you know, I'm working on my FSM Top 50 ballot. You know, I'm continually updating it. I've got MJF, like, even with his reduced schedule and everything, and I think the number of matches you work matters, I've still got him on the verge of the Top 50. If he was just working regular matches, like the dog collar match and stuff, like working actual high-intensity matches that were, you know, good matches, like, he'd easily be a Top 25 worker at worst, I feel like. He's a really good wrestler. And obviously he's a fantastic promo. And I feel like his creativity has really fallen off in promos. Uh, his match quality obviously has gone to the wayside just because of the full shtick uh, turn. And I just can't. Uh, it's he, He's misusing himself. And in a way, he's his own worst enemy. And it's really disappointing and it's really frustrating. And We just need to, we need to shift direction. We need to change it. And we need to figure out a way to get this back on track.
1: Just put us in charge of the booking.
2: Look, I, uh, I'm not crazy enough to think I could be a, uh, head booker of a, of a wrestling promotion overnight. Um, though then again, I mean, Hey, Tony Khan did it. Why can't I, right? Maybe I could do that. Uh, but I do feel like I could, I could be like, "Listen, this is dumb. Please don't do this." Mm-hmm. Like, we need someone that is empowered to say that to MJF, and I'm really worried that we don't.
1: Yeah, I'll say it, MJF, your shit sucks, and that's the show today. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna leave it at that. You can follow us on Twitter at um, Good Bad Hungy. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno. You can follow Fred on the Blue Sky, which only yes. has about five people, but Fred is one of them. Hey. If you want to talk to him. It's an easy way to do. So you can also ask us a question by emailing us at, hunkypot at gmail.com or sending us a message in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Thank you very much for listening and have a great day. Everyone take care now.
0: Music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Highland,
2: we're all about celebrating
0: little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes